0: I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode four. Want to rock your mortgage business? Then crank up the volume with your host, Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hi Broker Nation, I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today, Dennis Brunet. Dennis is a mortgage broker with Mortgage Architects based out of Winnipeg. He has been a mortgage broker for about 23 years and is one of the most successful brokers in the country. Actually to get on I Love Mortgage Brokering you have to be killing it. And I'm stoked about this interview. Hey Dennis, are you ready to rock? we're ready to rock awesome so the first question i want to ask is just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your business
1: okay well i've been uh, i started in the lending side back in february of 89 and then in november of 93 i ended up uh, jumping into the broker side i had been offered it was a, the downsizing of the trust companies and what had happened was i was offered a couple of jobs with a couple of different lenders At the time, Winnipeg only had maybe two or three brokers in town, and that was the basis of where we were generating our leads on the trust company side. And I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot because if these guys are making money doing it, I should be able to do just as good as they should because I'm probably a little bit better of a person than they are. (laughs)
0: That's Uh, awesome. So I
1: took off. (laughs) So so I ended up taking off with that, and I started working out of the basement of my house. Uh, Then I I worked with another company doing some of the private stuff, uh, formed a partnership with somebody and then in 96 like a bad divorce that didn't work out but ended up going individual and have been working individual ever since.
0: And so how long have you had your own company?
1: Um, it, for lack of a better term since October of 96.
0: And then just to get a, a snapshot of sort of where you're coming from can you just tell us like sort of how many uh, sub brokers and assistants or license assistants you have at your office just to get a an idea of what that
1: looks Manit- like. In, in Manitoba, um, as far as licensed systems go, we, we don't necessarily need to need to have them as licensed unless they're gonna talk about mortgage documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have somebody who would fall underneath the category of a, of a salesperson who I had as a right-hand person, and then she ended up going out on her own to become a, her own individual broker. Um, I've got one assistant right now who processes not only my paperwork but the work for the office. And with that, we've also got six additional brokers here in my office and we're looking to add on another two to three over the course of the next couple of months.
0: Awesome, so and things are growing for you guys right now.
1: Things are growing, we've got a good um, uh, value proposition with, uh, with Mortgage Architects, so that helps. And when people start to see that and what it is we're doing in the market, and how it is that we're marketing, and, and of course, the good reputation that we've got, we find that there's more and more attraction, and more and more questions that are starting to come our way in asking why mortgage architects? Why should I work with Dennis versus Joe Blow down the street?
0: Right, and last question on your business practice, or your mortgage practice, so what's what would you say your split of A versus B is?
1: Uh, over, that's that's been a varying uh, split, because what's happened over the course of the last few years with all the mortgage changes that have come to play, and the limited amount of private lenders that we've got over here, um, we used to be probably 75% A and 25% B, and that would be primarily residential, but over the course of the last couple of years, we're starting to see that uh, going more so towards about a 50-50 split right now, and we're starting to see more commercial rather than residential because with all those rule changes that have come to play, we're starting to find that it's getting to be a little bit more difficult to place in it, more of the A deals and the B, B lenders are starting to get a little bit more fuzzy and knowing what it is that the, what they tell you on the front side versus what they'll do on the back side. Um, and then plus we've walked into having a couple of different lending entities on the private side that are working with us that are the true gut feel kind of lenders that I first came into this market with back in 1989. So it sure makes a difference when we're dealing with lenders and borrowers explaining to them how processes work. And if they trust you on that, that's gonna go so far down the road and then that's why we're starting to see more and more of the B business growing for us.
0: Yeah, it seems to me that change brings opportunity if you can if you seize it and and it sounds like you guys are doing that and so the next question I'd like to ask is, um, I, love to, I love quotes, I love how they condense a thought or a, a concept into something that you, a bite size that you can take. So do you have a favorite quote that has impacted your life or business?
1: Um, it's kind of funny, I got one of these little tent cards that I bought probably about 20 years ago, right after, or right when I first started, and it uh, has a slogan on it and I still have it in front of me and it says, um, winners never quit and quitters never win. That's good. That's good. So much truth that goes with it.
0: So, can you give me can you give me an example of when you've applied that to your say to your mortgage practice? Like a specific Um, example of something that you where you applied it
1: outside of the more. It's easy for me to explain it outside of the mortgage business because this is something that happened to us just the other day inside of our personal life. We've got three kids in our oldest one is twenty two years old and she's going through a little bit of a rough time as far as the employment goes. She was working for a company that all of a sudden out of the blue closed doors. Um, Then she said, well maybe I'd like to try working in a travel agency. She tried that and as much as she enjoyed working as a travel agent, her employer wasn't working good for her and then she was really down in the dumps and I said, you know what? And she kept on telling us that she didn't want to be into the retail side, she didn't want to be a salesperson. Um, the good thing, or we sat her down and we said, you know what, you have to understand something, you're a very attractive person, you're a very smart person, and you've got looks and skills and communication that is one of the key things that's gonna get you to the next level for no matter what it is that you wanna accomplish in life. And she was, like I said, she was down in the dumps, not really sure what to do, very depressed, hiding in a room all the time, and we just said, you know, you gotta be able to get out and go out and do this. So we, we really sat her down. And we made a little bit of a plan and said, okay, so here's what you're gonna do day by day by day by day, and just follow the process. And we showed her how it is that if you do something consistently day in, day out, it becomes habit, and then once it becomes habit, it becomes first nature, and once it becomes first nature, it's a natural. And, that's gonna just bring you right back to the start where if you keep on going and you don't quit, you're gonna always come out further ahead of the game. And that's really had a major impact in her to the point where yesterday she said, you know what, I really have to thank you guys because what you said three months ago has really panned out to be true and I'm looking forward to to where it is that I'm gonna be going over the course of the next three to six months. And she basically jumped into uh, going into a position of uh, working as an educational assistant.
0: You, you know it's so you actually applied that it, I know that you said it was a personal example but you applied the principle of not quitting on your daughter right like you you didn't give up on her and say oh what like what's wrong with you you, you applied it and said look let's come up with a plan let's make one baby step and keep moving in the right direction and it's so true like it, it a lot of times in life people are so close to getting through something but they stop just right, right before they get there and that's that's a great quote I love it
1: yeah and and it's it's always I find that. Um, part of my nature is to go out and try and find a solution, whereas if you don't try and find that solution, you may as well just throw on the towel and just move on to the next, but the next isn't going to be as easy.
0: It doesn't get easier often. Once you've kind of quit on something, it, be, it gets easier to quit, if anything else, every time that you quit something. Yes. So one of the things also that I've found in my business, I've been doing this for eight years, is that I, when I, something goes wrong, or I, I fail at something, there's always a lesson in it. So could you share an example of something that you'd failed at and what you learned from it?
1: Um, something that I failed at. One, I'm not going to say that it was necessarily a failure, but I guess in some light it could be. Um, one of the things that I have a a soft side or a a soft heart for is being overly trusting with certain individuals to the point where um, I I don't want to let somebody down because quite often my word is my bond. Uh, One of the things where that ended up costing me, and it literally cost me a friendship as well as a lot of money, and that was uh, we threw an addition onto our cottage Back three years ago, and they said they kept on telling me, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Um, it's not going to cost you that much, not cost you that much. Well, it probably ended up costing me about $20,000 more than what I had hoped for it to cost. And it, it was a failure in the sense that I should have gone with my gut. I deal with this stuff on a day to day basis, and I tell people all the time, You know what? Make sure you get something right. Uh, make sure you get everything broken down so you know what it is that's going to cost you in the lana. And in this particular case, we got the cottage, the, the rough part of it done in the fall, the completion done in the spring, and all of a sudden being handed a bill here for $45,000, and I was saying, like, are you guys kidding me? What are you talking about? And it was their understanding that this is what it was going to be, and this is how much money we saved you, so this is what it's going to cost you. And at the end, I just said, "No, no, I'm not paying this. If you want to go to court, let's go to court. Let's talk about it some more." And I have not seen or spoken to these people in two and a half years.
0: So that was obviously a con. That was with a contract, like a general contractor you're working with.
1: That's correct. Yeah, it was a husband and wife team that threw an addition onto the cottage, and and these are people that I've known for two or three years already, and they they do very very nice work.
0: And so, just so we can distill it down for our listeners, so what would you? How could you put that into a, you know, condense it? What, what's the lesson in it that you've learned from this?
1: As, as much as I have a tendency to trust people, always make sure that you get the correct version of what everybody understands in writing so that there's no miscommunication that takes place. And when it comes time to paying the bill, pay the bill. Because I was paying them all in cash as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, recently, just as a side, I've
0: taken uh, my, my kids, I've given them, I've written contracts for them on different things. They want, they, like my one daughter wants an, an iPod or an iPad. And yeah. so I said, okay, you can have one, but you need, there's certain things you need to do. And here's a contract. And she says, well, what's a contract? And I explained, it's basically a written promise that we both, that, so that there's no confusion. And so I agree. It's so easy sometimes to, but having it in writing keeps, keeps all that confusion from happening and, and relationship intact. Right.
1: Yes, and then there's no miscommunication, or there shouldn't be.
0: So, the other thing I've noticed about successful brokers is they all have a system or process, and they're willing to adjust it or tweak it in order to get better results. Can you share an example of a sales process or a follow-up process or something that you've done? What kind of change you've made and what kind of outcome you got from it?
1: Um, When I first started in this business, I was what I call a a mortgage junkie or a deal junkie. I had to be involved with it the whole step of the way. the, the, the damning thing about doing it in that particular format is uh, you're in it from start to finish, and as you're going along the process, the next one comes in, the next one comes in, and you're in it from start to finish, and it takes away from your livelihood, and you start to learn how it is you can work smarter, not harder. As much as it's nice to be able to go out there and say, yeah, I want to be able to satisfy people and put money in my pocket, you still have to have a life outside of that, and it put me in a market where I was becoming a, a bit of a workaholic, and to some degree I still am today. But, but I was the deal junkie, I had to have it in my hands and fingers into everything. It came to a point where I needed to have somebody who I was able to trust to be able to hand off my work to and know that I was gonna get handled properly and up to my standards, and I had that for the longest time where I was able to come in and do a lot more volume and have people working for me. So I had, for a period of time, I had a couple of assistants that were working with me, and I didn't have to worry about that. I became the rainmaker, going out, getting the deals, and having people there. Still having my figures into the deals, but then I lost, um, I'm down to one assistant now, and when I lost the one who was quite knowledgeable of the business and very customer service-oriented, uh, that's where I noticed that I start to become the junkie again. And i got to get myself right back into uh, passing along a lot of this information because people, whenever they phone, because of the work that you've done, phone for you, they're not expecting somebody else to handle it unless you can deliver the proper handoff, and that handoff is that, here, I'm doing this work, and here's the people who are part of my team who are going to be working with me, and expect phone calls from them and communication from them in order to be able to move on to the next step. And that's where I found that as long as you communicate that properly to the next person, then you can at least maintain those uh, renewals and referrals and repeat customers to come in. So it's all
0: about setting the right expectations and then having some kind of a system that allows you to... I think Tyler, he had called it a conveyor belt. So his, you know, his business is like a conveyor belt, and it, the the file moves along the conveyor belt. So same kind of thing. But it, I know, same as me, I have sometimes trouble letting go of that control, and it's uh, so. Well, give me a, give me a tip on how you finally are able. What's what's the tip to letting go of the, you know, your fingers in every deal?
1: You just have to go with your gut, and you got to trust the person you're passing it on to, realizing that they will make mistakes and realizing that they will likely learn from that mistake and move on to the next one without having to make that mistake again.
0: Right, yeah, that's just- Letting,
1: letting go is so tough. It is, <laughs> and I'm, I'm working on it, so. Yeah, no, and, and I hear it, it. it is really tough to do.
0: So what one habit or thing do you think has made you a successful mortgage broker?
1: Um, Probably the one that's been most dominant in my life is making sure that I tell people where I believe they are at, and letting them know that I only get paid if I fund the mortgage, but it's gotta be in their best interest, not my best interest. I don't know about you, but I find that more often than not, people are out there uh, looking to see, not, looking to see how much money they can put in their pocket, and it doesn't matter whether it's $100, or $1,000, or $10,000, they take a look to see how much they can put in their pocket without spending the time to educate the consumer. Um, Quite often, I bet you I can count at least one time a week when I'm gonna sit down or speak to somebody and let them know that I, as much as I'd like to be able to get their business, I'm not gonna take their business just just to line my pockets. Because I wanna make sure that, um, that they know that I understand and respect the fact that they work hard for their money and then for every extra dollar that it's gonna cost them to break a mortgage or move companies or something like that, it's actually costing them $2 in uh, gross income. So I said, you know, it's, it's just not worth you moving. So I can put money in my pocket, let's make sure you're well taken care of up front and doing things for the right reasons. Right, so that's sometimes where you're coaching a
0: client that's at an, another institution that you don't work with, but coaching them on on how the, what the best options are for them? Yeah, yeah. I, I know I, it does happen to us too. We we run into the same thing. So another theme that I've been r- noticing talking to, to successful brokers is they need to diversify your income. So to offer more products or services. Is there one area that you're having success in, or an area you want to focus on in the next year?
1: Uh, yeah, and actually, it was one that was launched by mortgage Architects just recently. And this is something that just came naturally because every so often. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm always trying to find ways to be able to help people. And every so often, when you're dealing with people who are on the self-employed side or, or in a business that's in the growth mode, they're always looking for different ways to finance. <clears throat> and, and when they're looking for that, you have to be able to try and provide, in my opinion, different options for them. You can sit back and say, well, you know what? No, I only deal with mortgages. Or, you know what? I know somebody who can help with this particular situation. And recently, Mortgage Architects came out with... Um, their factoring of accounts receivable, and equipment leasing. And as it turns out, uh, that's, we're on the cusp of getting a deal signed off right now with uh, a restoration company who gets their monies paid to them by insurance companies, but they've got to wait 90, 120, 180 days for their money. But in the meantime, they're still putting out all their money up front, and they need to be able to catch up, and the banks aren't helping them. So we're doing an AR financing uh, program with them, which is going to help them out substantially as far as their growth goes, as far as getting additional business. But at the same time, it's going to provide uh, additional funds for me because every time that they use the service, I'll be getting a check coming into my account. And I just looked at it. All I want to do is help somebody. Right. And so just for anybody who's listening, who doesn't
0: know what AR factoring is, can you explain that?
1: Um, account receivable factoring is, uh, the easiest way to say it is something like this. Let's say you have an insurance company by the name of Lloyds of London. And, and this, here's an actual example. Lloyds of London uh, financed a hotel here in Winnipeg that had uh, some water damage, and it sounds like the total insurance coverage that's going to come into play is anywhere between five dollars and $600,000. Well, the insurance company has to hire a restoration company to go out and do all the work to help replace everything, uh, store everything, and restore everything uh, to bring it back to where the company was before the damage happened. And it's going to take about three to four months for that to happen. Well, this happened two months ago, and the the restoration company is going to still be waiting for about another four months before they actually get the, the cheque from Lloyd's London to pay them. So they've got a nice big receivable, it's got a good margin in it, and they have no access to that receivable right away because the banks will typically only finance the receivable for anywhere between 60 and 90 days from the time that you start the work till the time that it should be paid out. And if they don't finance that, then the next thing you know the the uh, the entity, the restoration company is gonna sit back and say, Uh, how do I operate because I don't have any more money, I'm waiting for all this money to come in. And in this particular case they're waiting for about $1.6 million in receivables from various insurance companies. And what we're doing is we're packaging a program together whereby they can take the receivables from these insurance companies and get it paid to them, usually within a couple of days of them submitting the invoice rather than waiting for six months to get paid.
0: And then they can pay their guys.
1: Yeah, they can pay their guys and use their profit and they still have some margins there uh, down the road and continue to grow the business.
0: Right, that, that's a, yeah, it's a fantastic program, you've given it, you're, you're tweaking my, my brain to start looking into that a little bit more too.
1: It, it's, you know what, it's really a no brainer because the easiest way that I promote that is when you're dealing with somebody who's self-employed, you get an idea how they feel for their businesses and you find out what their receivables are. And if they're dealing with governments, if they're dealing with insurance companies, any of these blue chip companies, uh, and it takes a while to receive, for them to receive money off of it, this is really a no-brainer for them because it's, it's just so natural and they get their money quick, quick, quick.
0: That's awesome. And so we were chatting before we got on the air about just life and stuff. And so, how do you balance running your mortgage practice and family? And you, you'd said that you were, you know, recovering workaholic, which I feel like I am sometimes. And so, give me some advice on what you'd do there.
1: Uh, that, that's always been a challenge for me because I am a bit of a workaholic. I'm a kind of person who doesn't need a lot of sleep, so I can usually get away with about four or five hours of sleep and my wife yells at me because I'm up at five o'clock in the morning and at the office at six and I'm usually back home by six. But over the years, because I've mentioned earlier I was a deal junkie, I had to be involved with everything, technology has evolved and you know what my technology skills are like, so that's always going to be a challenge. But I have found that Uh, technology has stepped in to be able to make life a little bit easier for uh, stuff that needs to take place on the weekends and the evenings to the point where now I make it seasonally adjusted so that uh, during the summers I'm four days at the cottage, three days at work, but when I'm at work I'm working 12, 15 hours a day. Uh, But nobody else is around to bother me. But when I'm at the cottage... I'll work three or four hours in the morning on a Friday, three or four hours in the morning on a, on a Monday, but I get to enjoy the true family time because we'll go out on the beach or go out on the boat or go out and do something and, and spend time with the family. In that respect, the rest of the year outside the summer, it's the kids keep us very active with the different kinds of sports, and I've always made it a point to never miss any of the events unless I'm going to be out of town. So whether it's basketball, baseball, dancing, whatever the event, um, I'm always there and I turn the phone off and I focus more so, uh, more so on what it is that we gotta do there. Or even at nights taking the dogs for walks, uh, doing different things and spending time, qu- true quality time. A lot of people will, in my opinion, misplace quantity time versus quality time and the quality is the time that you spend with your family versus the amount of time you spend with your family. Um, Sometimes people differ on that. I look at it where you can spend some some time in a room with somebody uh, for three or four hours and not talk. But you can spend an hour talking with them and get a lot more out of that relationship on the quality side versus the quantity of time. So I always make it a point to spend a lot of time with my family. Mm-hmm. And I put family first before the work as much as I am a bit of a work junkie.
0: J- deal junkie, work junkie, it's all good. It, it, you know, it's. It, I agree with you on the quality time. It's all about focus and being being there and not being on your phone. And you you know, uh, just be when you're at the cottage, be at the cottage, and when you're at the basketball game, just be there. And you, when you're at work, be at work and just head down and work and don't don't mess around. Definitely. so so now we're going to move to the rapid fire questions. You can answer these with a little shorter answers and so I have a few more questions for you. So the first one is what is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful?
1: The number one thing holding them back? I think it's their fear to become successful and give people the honest uh, or or give them the true goods as compared to just focusing on how much money they're going to make on a deal.
0: So not thinking, they're thinking about their own needs and not the person that they're trying to serve.
1: Exactly. I, I hear so many people say, I don't wake up to, to make 500 bucks. I don't wake up to make $1,000. Well, you know what? That $500 deal can translate into a $3,000 deal down the road. Uh, just because you spent the time, whether it was on 10 minutes or an hour or two hours, helping somebody out. Because one day, they're going to need that other one or they know somebody who's going to be uh, requiring that kind of information that you're prepared to give them.
0: And do you have like an internet resource or software or program that you use to make your business more successful? Who me? Yeah, I know. I kind of, I, I, I kind of, I, I chuckled. Yeah, you have a computer in your office, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: I've got a computer, and yes, and I've got the BlackBerry. Uh, no, I don't. You know what? I I've, I usually rely. I, I I'm a bit of a sponge when it comes time to listening what people have to say about the technology side, and I pass everything on to people who I believe know that and specialize in that. I have chosen not to understand and focus on a lot of the stuff on the technology, but I definitely do listen to what it is that people have to say about it and try and find different ways to incorporate it into my business. But is there anything special and in particular, no. Uh, Through Mortgage Architects, I know we just launched a new website, which for the most part has been an adaptation of uh, a bunch of requests of people looking for different things to be able to make it work. Is it perfect? No, but it can accommodate the bulk of what it is that most people need to be able to make their job easier on a day-to-day basis. I believe so. Yes, and it's only going to get better.
0: Right. Yeah. They do have. There are some definitely some good tools out there for brokers from different brokerages that you know they try to make your job easier. So, if you had one book you'd recommend, what would that be?
1: Uh, one of my favorite books that I read. It's not a big one. It's about 130 pages. It's called Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard. And in essence, what it does, is it's nice, simple reading. Uh, you can could, you could read it on a night quite easy, but it just takes you from uh, what most people would view as regular expectation to bring yourself up uh, to, to offering exceptional customer service, and there's really nothing special that they're doing other than what people should be doing on a day to day basis, it's just going. It's showing people how to go with that one extra step.
0: Right. Yeah, I've actually read it before. It's a. It is a good book. And it is one. So, where do you think our industry headed? Like, where is the opportunity right now in the next in the next year? Where do you see it?
1: Um, I see a lot more of the B business happening. I also see that in the broker business itself, people are going to have to start becoming more of an educator than they are a mortgage broker. Um, for lack of a better term um, the banks could, but could put us out of business in a heartbeat if they wanted to just given the parameters of how they operate we have to show the individual consumer how it is that we will be meriting them if they decide they want to come along with us and, and we can't, education isn't only about giving somebody the lowest rate because sometimes the lowest rate is the worst deal that's out there uh, I just find that our industry has to start teaching people what to look for what not to look for what they should be focusing on and taking a look at what's good for the consumer on a short term basis and a long term basis we look to see what their goals and their needs are um, knowing full well that stuff's going to change and it is a moving target but they have to pay attention to what's going to be the best in the best interest of the consumer to me that's where the industry is going to go, and if they if we follow that, uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how much the business is going to grow. Uh, the other side of it is is knowing products. You, you got to know what's going on. There's probably today well over 500 mortgage products available to consumers. But at the end of the day, it's it's how it's dressed and how it's flavored. Um, You go to Royal banks, you got 10 mortgage products. Well, okay, so that's 10 mortgage products. But how do they dress it? And if you know how each one dresses it, that's great. Learning about interest rate differential penalties, learning about uh, the different kinds of programs that are out there uh, from the B side. Learning how, and I've always made a point of doing this, is when I go to different cities, I I try and spend time in an underwriting office to learn how their workflow is. Because once you start to learn how their workflow is and how they view underwriting a deal, you sure get a lot out of it and you establish these relationships with underwriters that will give you a bit of an edge over other people. So those, to me, are going to be keys as far as building a successful operation and seeing what's going to happen down the road. And being a participant, don't sit back and wait for everything to come back to you
0: right that's good that's good advice and then this is one of my favorite questions so if you woke up tomorrow you'd sold your business you moved across the country to a place about the size of winnipeg and with, with the same temperatures from <laughs> so maybe i don't know where that would be but <laughs> somewhere that's just as cold i could or, but i will put you somewhere warm somewhere warm you have none of your contacts you've sold your, your you can't talk to your old con your you have contracts you can't talk to your old clients so what would and you wanted to build a mortgage business again what would be the like three things that you'd start doing to build your business
1: one of the very first things I'd look at is to see what's going on in the market as far as advertising and who's doing what and this goes back to when it is that I first got into the businesses let's open the yellow pages and see who's doing what what kind of things are being advertised typically that's going to give you an idea as to what's going on um once you've got that part of it then you go to the next step and again this is the guy who's not the techie guy Uh, Then you go and do your search on the internet to see what's being offered in an area that you're going to be moving into. Um, Those are going to be the keys as to what competitors are doing, what they're really focusing in on, and with the knowledge that you've got in the background and you build on your strengths, that's going to tell you what it is you could be looking at or you should be focusing in on because it's missing in the market. Then the last part of that is getting in touch with a bunch of realtors and a bunch of financial planners and show them how it is that you're going to be able to provide value to their particular operations. Because more so, I mean, I've never built my business on a real estate, uh, on realtors. I can kind of one-hand how many real estate agents I deal with. And, And that's probably been true since the day I started business. And that's been purely my choice. I can tell you quite honestly that I have missed out on a number of opportunities because of that choice, because I I choose not to be at a real estate agent's beck and call um, at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night or five o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday afternoon when I'm getting ready to have dinner with my family. Uh, There's no deal that's gonna be that important that I have to do that. Um, they'll, They'll all treat you the same. And that was just something that I found out way back when, everything was a last minute thing. So I chose not to deal with them, but I I did choose to deal with people who understand who I worked, or how I worked, and where it is that I was gonna be focusing in on. So if they knew that, if I told them that, yes, here's what the expectations are, I'd set the expectations. Uh, We've had some real funny markets here recently where we have bidding wars and people are going in unconditional, uh, always dangerous. And you tell that to somebody and realtors that get upset with you and I just tell them, you know what, this isn't how it is that I would have pre-approved a deal. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry I can't help you or I can't help the customer on this. And I let the customers know that that's not how it is that I run a practice. Um, but if you build that stable of realtors who understand how it is that you do business and what their expectations are gonna be and then you deal with financial planners because one of my bigger strengths has been with financial planners, and I always try and build that part of it up, knowing full well that you're building that fence around their asset base. They're prepared to work with you, and, and that's what it is that I would recommend uh, doing. Far to move up into a different market, so I'm somewhere warmer. And so I'm just going to recap about that.
0: So first thing is research. Second is find a gap in the market, something that you can you think, hey, I could. There's a problem here that I could help solve. And then the third thing will be to network with a local professionals and try to add value so that you're like hey i'm gonna i can show you how i can help you build your business but also set some parameters around it so that you're not like you said on their you know on speed dial and they're phoning you at 11 o'clock at night and and you're trying to you're trying to chill out at the lake and
1: yeah, well we can do this at the lake <laughs> what's that well i can still do it at the lake because i do some work at the lake it's just i'm not gonna be doing on saturday night at 10 o'clock right okay so the last,
0: last thing, are you, so, This has been a fantastic interview. Thanks for, you know, taking us through where you've been and from deal junkie to AR, accounts receivable, you know, financier and all these other cool things that you're doing. Are you guys hiring right now? Yes, we are. Okay. So where can people find you online?
1: Um, My website is mortgagewinnipeg.com. I've had that domain name for years and years. Uh, That's one way or else uh, just picking up the phone and finding us in the Winnipeg uh, Mortgage Architects Office in Winnipeg.
0: Okay, and, and also for any of our listeners, if you go to I mortgage Brokering.com and you type in Dennis D E N I S, you'll be able to find his this show in the show notes and I'll have a link to the book and also a link to Dennis's website so that you can connect with him if you are in that market. Anyways, any last piece of wisdom that you'd like to leave us with?
1: No, it's always a pleasure because I like learning some stuff off of you as well. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Dennis. Great, thanks a lot Scott.
0: Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder, a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or, or a tip. And I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing. Since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.